I'm like a headmaster. I'm lost in this profession. I should have been a teacher. <laughs> Great. Well, as Tony said earlier on, it's bank holiday in South Normanton, and there's still quite a lot of us here. It's great. I expected there to be about two because everybody's off in the caravan sunning it up. But uh, no, it's great. You're away tomorrow. We're just going to wait a little bit longer. Sunny Tenerife. Eh? Come on. So it's good to see you all. Glad that you could be with us. It's been, uh, it's been quite, it's felt like quite a tender, a tender meeting this morning, hasn't it? I don't feel the sense of, uh, of God's presence. But as, as the Bible says, you know, where there's, there's two or more, you know, God's presence is there where there's anyone. But, you know, I just get a real overriding sense that, that God is here. Really, that he cares for us. He wants to say something to us this morning. So I want to encourage you, you know, we're in the middle of, uh, Tony kicked it off last week. Uh, sermon series, Love for God's Word. Claudia's son Solomon has done all of these brilliant designs for us uh, for, for the um, sermon series that are going to be coming up over the next few months. Done a great job of those. But I thought Tony did an excellent job last week starting us off with the, uh, with the first message. So I'm going to carry on today. This probably feels a little bit more like a bit of a teaching message this morning. Um, so, you know, follow me along with a bit of a presentation that will be going on in the, in the background as well to help you to help you track with me. Um, but we, we love this book, don't we? We love this book. I love this book. We value it so highly. That's why it's first on our list of core values. Not that those core values, by the way, are in an order, you know, are most important and the least important or anything like that, but it's something that was vital for us as we're setting the values of this church. Love for God's word. Most important thing. You know, it's all got to flow from this place. I don't want to make this up as we go along, you know, the truths that are contained in this extraordinary supernatural book is what will sustain us as a church and, and lead us forward into all that God is calling us to, to do and all that he's calling us to be. You know, and every Christian, we all have a different relationship with this, with this book, don't we? We all have a different relationship with this book. Some of us read it daily, some of us read it rarely, some of us maybe have never even touched it. Some of us have, have written books about it. There's people standing here today that have written books based on this word. Some of us write sermons based on this word. You know, and many people can feel that the Bible is, is dry, you know, it's, it's difficult to read. But many others have experienced it to be rich, overflowing with life. You know, I've, I've experienced this book to be life changing, to be transformed, to be life transforming. It literally changed my perspective on certain things. The way that I view the world is informed by this book. The way that I do relationships is informed by this book. And I do want to say this morning that if we're serious about our, our relationship with God, serious about our relationship with God, then our relationship with His Word has to be more than just like a quick fling. I'm sure we all know what I'm alluding to here, you know. A relationship where it maybe feels great for a moment and then we walk away from it when it no longer feels like we're getting anything out of it. I don't believe that we should treat God's word like that, should we? We should treat God's word with commitment. You know, we should, I was trying to think of a way to portray this this week as I was getting ready for this message, but you know, we should, we should treat this like a, 
like a marriage. A relationship with the Bible should be like a quick flicking. Here one minute when it feels good and then gone as soon as we're not getting anything from it. We should treat it like a marriage where there's commitment. Where we stick with it through thick and thin. Even when it doesn't feel great. Because we know that the long-term effect that this book is going to have on our life will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. You know, Charles Spurgeon said these words. If you can put this slide up there. Charles Spurgeon said these brilliant words. I think these are fantastic. He said, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. That's brilliant, isn't it? Look, I'm, I just want to let you in on something that you may not have been aware of, but I'm human too, right? <laughs> you may not think you have a new haircut. <laughs> I went to, just on that subject, all right, just give me a couple of minutes. I went to the barbers the other day and I thought, I'm going to try something different. I never do that. I'm, such a, I'm a simple kind of guy. I like what I know. And I thought, I'm going to do something different. I walked home and the most important person said, she doesn't like it. So, <coughs> Somebody said to me today, it looks like you decide whether you wanted it shaved or whether you wanted to keep it long so you've gone like half and half. So I'm going to grow a beard and I'm going to have like one half beard and the rest of it shaved. <laughs> so I am human. That's what I'm going to think, Sophia. But Sophia has said it. I'm going to point you out. I'm going to point you out for what a nice compliment. I love you too. I love you too. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm human too. We're all on the, you know, we're all in this together. We all experience the same things. The journey of faith is incredible, and we all have our own individual journeys of faith. One thing I've come to realize is we all go through the same things. We go through the same tensions. We go through the same, uh, you know, it irks us the disciplines that we have to that we have to put into our faith. The battles are very often, even though they're you know tailored to your situation, the battles are very much the same that we experience. <coughs> And, you know, I just want to let you know, you know, as your pastor this morning, you know, take a, a deep breath and let it out. I experience the same thing. I sometimes find it challenging reading God's Word. Challenging in a sense that it feels you know, maybe a little bit dry. It goes through a season where it doesn't feel quite as palatable as it, as it once did before. That You know, there's a bit of a, a, a lack of the, the hunger and desire that I, that I once felt. But as I've just said, you know, we don't treat it cheaply. Treat it like a like a marriage. I'm going to stay in this thing because I know the whole term effect of this book on my life will transform me for the better if I stick at it. And that's a part of maturing as a Christian. You know, we say this time and time again. Tony was saying this just last week. You know, it's part of maturing that sometimes we have to do things that may not necessarily feel right, but they are right. It's a great lesson in maturing as a Christian that we do things not because it feels right, but because it is right. You know, so if you're ever struggling over a, over a decision, you know, I would encourage you today, don't be informed by how you feel. Please don't be informed by how you feel. I've said this before, time and time again, I'm just going to keep reiterating this. Please don't be informed by your feelings. That's a sure way to wreck your life. You'll do it really fast. do all kinds of unwise things simply because it feels right at the time. Who can testify to that? I can. Yeah. As Christians, we're called to be mature and not give in to that. And that's why I want to encourage you today. Do the right thing. 
being driven by not what feels like, <coughs> driven by God's word. Because it is right. You know, what Tony said last week, and I thought, this is, this is really simple. I want to say this again. If you're struggling to read God's word, if it doesn't feel great, read it anyway. <laughs> read it anyway. It'll do you good. It'll do you good. You know, as a pastor, one of the struggles that I've come across when, when speaking with people, when chatting with people, is that there seems to be this consensus amongst everybody that we struggle with the amount of scripture that we read as well. Has that ever been a problem for you? It has been for me. You know, let me just tell you a, a quick story about uh, probably when I was 17 or 18, I really felt the sense of God's call on my life. Really just beginning to get passionate about God. But with that, you know, like I think a lot of us can do, I got a bit overzealous as well. Overzealousness can, can take hold. And I used to stress about the amount of scripture that I read. And I tried to read 12 chapters of the Bible every day. And I did that for about two years. And I stressed about it. And obviously, you're going to work as well, you're doing everything else. But I don't know about you, but if you. If some people are like power readers as well. I'm not good enough to do that. It takes me ages to read it. But some people can like digest a book in a day, can't they? Like them people are incredible. <laughs> They're like mutants or something. <laughs> but you know, for the average person like myself, or maybe like you sitting here today, I want to encourage you today just a really quick practical tip. Don't do that. Don't make the same mistake. Don't stress about the amount of scripture that you're reading. I want to encourage you today. Read it slowly. Read it slowly. Digest it. Take time over it, mull over it. Well, I've not read my three chapters today. It's all right, the world won't end. The world won't end. Take time to just go through that passage. Mull it over, get the pencil out, get the biro out, make some notes. Take time praying over it. Digest it properly. And so we, we have this struggle with the amount of scripture that we read. And how we feel when we do that, but our perception of what the Bible is, I think, is, is probably we'll do away with all of those struggles. We'll do away with those struggles. But what, what is this book? It's God's Word. I think if we have that realization that this is God's Word, we wouldn't struggle quite as much with the things that we struggle with. <coughs> let me tell you when we understand what the Bible is, we will want to build our lives upon it. The Bible is the very word of God. Everything rises and falls upon God's word. It isn't an important book. It's the most important book. And I think I said that, I said the other week that I heard from somebody else, which I thought was great. But, you know, the Bible, it doesn't, you know, you don't, we, we read the Bible, but the Bible, the Bible reads us. It's the only book I've ever encountered that does that. It judges our heart. It judges our motives. You know, we live in an era where you know, I think I can safely say that we take for granted the fact that we can walk into, you know, you can walk into any Christian bookshop on the high street, for instance, and go and pick up a Bible in, you know, a plethora of different versions and different languages, all these kinds of things. You can get out one of these devices, these phones that order our lives, <laughs> control us, don't they? These, you know, all I have to do is this. I've got access to more than enough. There's so many different versions of the word at your fingertips. We live in that kind of era now where we can download a Bible app and we can go onto the internet. The rise of technology means that literally at our fingertips we have hundreds.
unrestricted access to the most incredible book ever written. You know, can I just say, it wasn't always that easy. I think we forget that, don't we? It wasn't always that easy. And I, for one, believe that, you know, we owe it to the pioneers of the past to remember that it wasn't always like that. People paid a great price so we could have that kind of access to the Bible. You know, many generations ago, before Bibles were made available to the common folk, you know, and only the professional clergy or those that were well-educated enough to read, you know, just a very small number of languages that the Bible was was uh, was written in, was printed in. Needless to say, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that gave that gave leeway to you know, a bit of corruption as well. I'm sure, you know, can you imagine if I was the only one who could read the Bible, I could tell you whatever I wanted, couldn't I? Belongs to church, I need a Ferrari. So, you know, the Bible says that you've got to get me a Ferrari. <laughs> you need to be able to read the Bible for yourself, is what I'm saying. You need to be able to read the Bible for yourself. And great men and women, great passionate, cool, wonderful men and women of God, in some cases, gave up their lives to change that. Men like William Tyndale. Tyndale was the first man to translate the Bible into English. And the effect of that was massive, absolutely massive. Literally billions of people have been, have been able to read the Bible for themselves because of his actions. You know, and that came at a huge cost. You know, in the 14th century, on these shores, the death penalty was introduced for anyone found to be in an unlicensed possession of the scriptures in English. Can you, can you imagine that? You put yourself in 14th century shoes you know, that you could be killed for having an unlicensed copy of the Bible. I stick my finger to my back of the phone and open up the app. It's all there. I have. Somebody paved the way for, for you and I to be able to do that. You know, this, you know, we're at Tyndale, and along with the efforts of many others, is one of the reasons why you and I have the ease of access to the Bible that we have today. And so all of this is to say, we use all of this to say we shouldn't treat God's word cheaply, should we? We should not treat God's word cheaply. It's a supernatural book. It's a book that will mold you. It's a book that will, that will shape you. It's a book that will encourage you. It's a book that, can to say, challenge you as well. It's a book that, you know, I've found as well that frustrate the life out of you as well sometimes. It'll provoke you to think. It'll bring you through some of the most incredibly dark seasons of your life also. You know, I, I remember once listening to a Bible teacher that said quite brilliantly, Bible, by its own admission, is sharper than any double-edged sword, so we should be careful how we handle it. Let's not treat it cheaply. We need to be happy. It's a double-edged sword. We should be we should be careful how we handle God's word. And that really is, you know, what I, I want to come on to in this next part of my message this morning. That you know, we have a great appreciation in the church for you know the power contained in this book and the significance of it. But we don't always do a great job of handling it, do we? I think I can say that. We don't always do the best job of handling it. We could take the best part of the next year to go and, and, and talk about this. But you know, I've got about 20 minutes this morning, so we will try and pack quite a bit in. So I do hope that, you know, Toby mentioned that Bible School is starting in July. I'm hoping that we can expand on these things at the, at the Bible School. So I want to encourage you to be there. It runs two weeks side by side. It'll be on the 16th and the 23rd of July, and then it's not on again until September. We didn't want it to be, you know, constant like week in, week out, because then people 
insistence of attorney general's office, we're going to do it every couple of months. And I want to make, I want you to make a real effort to be there if you can. So a few points that I want to go through this morning. The first one is this, <coughs> Trump's prophecy. I want to say that I say that carefully because I'm also aware that the Bible obviously is made up of some prophecy. The, the Old Testament, two of the categories of scripture are the, old, the, the minor and the major prophets. You know, so when I talk about prophecy, I'm not talking about prophecy that is that added to scripture. I'm talking about a prophecy like we experience today. You know, when the Bible was, was written, when the canon was closed, when the scriptures were tested, and it was finished, that was it. It was finished. We don't add anything more to it. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, Verse 3 that he saw a time coming where people would no longer desire to hear the truth of God's word and accept it as the highest authority. And instead, they would only give their attention to what they want to hear. So we'll read that together 2 Timothy 4 3. It says, for the, uh, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to soothe their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I'm really eager to speak to this issue because I've encountered that, you know, fairly commonly as a Christian. I've encountered that fairly commonly as a Christian now that there's, you know, it's this misconception that someone will take a prophetic word. I really just want to help us and teach us this morning. Someone will take a prophetic word from someone and without any further, you know, thought or examination, they'll run with it as though it came from the, exactly from the mouth of God. You ever experienced this? And somebody comes up and gives you a word for your life, you know, declared to be, you know, this fantastic prophet, and I'm telling you this way and that. And then but some people will be naive enough to go away and without any further thought or examination, take it as though it was straight from the mouth of God. I want to put it to you this morning that that is unwise. I want to counsel you not to do that. And so I'm not, please hear me on this, I'm not advocating like a cynical approach to, um, to prophecy, like that, you know, the, the prophetic should just be disregarded. But what I'm saying is let's be mature. Let's be mature Christians. This book, the Bible, is our rule for everything. It's our, it's our measure for everything, including prophecy. The Bible itself says, you know, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 to 21, it says, do not pre uh, treat prophecy with contempt. Test them all. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. So, well, how do we test a prophetic word? Maybe it's something that you've never asked yourself before. How do we test a prophetic word? Well, what I wouldn't say is, look, let's all go and ask Bob at the back because you know we've we've heard that he's you know a prophet, a self-proclaimed prophet, and he seems like a really spiritual guy. So we'll know what to do. <laughs> Get to God's word. Open the pages of Scripture. Examine it for yourself. The Bible will tell you whether it's good or not. Because if it doesn't line up with God's Word, then it isn't of God. You know, if you want to know what it, if it looks like to be a good father, if you want to know what it looks like to be a good dad, open the pages of Scripture. It will tell you. That book will show you what it is to be a good dad. If you want to be a good husband or a wife and have a healthy marriage, then Open the pages of Scripture. This is what we were saying to Juliana and Philip yesterday. You want to have a successful marriage and get God in the midst of it. Build it on God's Word. Look in the 
you want to know what it is to be a good employee or a good employer, well, get looking in the Bible. Now, I personally believe that a lot of our problem in that area is wrapped up actually in laziness. Laziness. Now, well, I can't be bothered to search the scriptures for myself, so I'd rather take a shortcut and listen to somebody telling me what they what they think. Let's not be lazy about the Bible. Let's not treat it cheaply. Next thing I want to come on to is this. The Bible is in a textbook for studying. It's a manual for living. It's not a textbook for studying. It's a manual for living. You know, it's all well and good having lots of knowledge about the Bible. But if that doesn't translate into the way that we live our lives, then we're, we've completely missed the point, haven't we? <coughs> the Bible wasn't given to us to be a textbook. It was given to us that we may live it so that we would so that we would live the life that Christ desires for us. Now, I've met people with, with the most impressive theological degrees and have studied this <coughs> and studied that and they've got master's degrees and you know, all of these kinds of things and that's wonderful. Honestly, that is, that's absolutely brilliant. It's great. It's good stuff. But it hasn't helped them with the most important question and that is how well you live your life, and how well you live your life the way that God intends. Because after all, that's the greatest witness to those that aren't Christians around us, isn't it? The way that we live our lives. It's not the textbook in front of us, it's not our knowledge of the Bible that is a great witness to somebody. In my experience, it's the way that we live our lives. You know, the neighbour that sees you, you know, when there's trial going on in your life, when there's, when there's difficulty going on in your life, how do you respond to that? What's your attitude like? It doesn't matter whether I have bags of knowledge, what matters is what you do and I do with it. If I claim to know the Bible but it doesn't re- but my life doesn't reflect it, then I'm a bad witness, aren't I? You know, and I may be wrong in some cases, but generally speaking, out of all the brilliant accounts, like I said, of people committing their lives to Christ, it wasn't because somebody had great brilliant knowledge of the Bible. I'm sure that in some cases maybe usually it's because they're see something different in that person. They see the life of Christ in that person. You know, Billy Graham said this, that we are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is needing. And we are the sermons the world is hearing. So this is a reflection of us. So please hear me, I'm not knocking people as I said that, you know, that have studied the Bible and that great academically and they pursue qualifications and all of that. You know, Andy is going to be going off to Bible school. Let me to embarrass you. You're going off to Bible college in September. I think that's brilliant. I think that's a fantastic thing to want to do. So I'm not knocking that in any way. But the point I'm making is this, that this book is so much more than a textbook. It's alive, isn't it? It's there for us. It's a manual for us to live our lives. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's alive and active. It's the very thing that holds the universe in place. It isn't the, you know, it isn't the stock markets, it isn't the governments, it isn't the politicians, it isn't the economy that holds everything in place. It's God's word. It's God's word. 
encourage you with this morning is this. Don't try to make the Bible say what you want it to say. Really important this morning. Really important. It's an easy to try to fall into as well. Let me say to you with great caution, you know, there's a danger when we manipulate God's voice. There's a danger when we manipulate God's voice. You know, what, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by manipulating God's voice? Well, what I mean is this, you know, when we speak our own opinions and perspectives, but in an effort, in an effort to, you know, to add more weight to those statements, we say, God told me so. It's such a throwaway comment. We've probably all done it. I've done it as well. God told me. God told me. Or God is saying. If you're going to go around and saying things like that, then you better be pretty darn sure that God is saying it. That's what I'm saying. It seems to me that we use that, you know, that term God spoke to me quite loosely and flippantly. You know, I just want to use one example around when we get offended, for instance. You know, according to some, as soon as an offence occurs, God starts to speak. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? It always seems to result in that person either detaching themselves from their responsibility or their current situation, or often in the context of the church, removing ourselves from the church community. I got offended by something. I literally had people say to me, you know, people that have never given me any indication whatsoever. I've known them for years and years and years that I've never seen any indication that God's spoken to them about anything. But as soon as something goes wrong or they're upset about something in the life of the church, God's all of a sudden speaking. And it usually is something like, God's told me to go, or God's told me to do this. And usually it's a detachment from their responsibility or from the community. I've heard people saying this when, you know, referring to marriage. You know, God told me I should leave my wife. Oh, did he? Did he? I've got a sneaky feeling that that probably wasn't God and that was probably you. you know, I've, I've, I've witnessed the other side of the coin as well. People, people using that when they're desperate to get married as well. So has anybody ever heard this? You know, when somebody goes up, guy approaches a girl, God told me to marry you. Did he now? <laughs> well, he didn't tell me, so sling you up. <laughs> Well, it's hardly romantic, is it, ladies? Let's face it. The guy comes up to you and says, God told me to marry you. I'm like, well, all right, well, you know, maybe go and get a job, stop playing computer games at your mum's house, and then we'll think about it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it completely goes against any kind of right biblical thinking as well, doesn't it? You know, Luke, the man who wrote the book of Acts, praised the Berean Jews for their willingness and desire to search the scriptures so that they could be sure about the truth. It actually says in, in Acts 17, 11, it says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Wow, what a mature attitude. What a mature attitude. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Don't just, you know, we get on and I like to, well, I like to think that you're respectful, but... <laughs> Um, you know, when I'm preaching up here, when Tony's preaching up here, when anybody in this church is preaching, I want to encourage you to go away. Go away and examine the scriptures. See if that's right. Be mature. Be mature. When we just tag on God said to the beginning of a statement, you know, that way of thinking conveniently removes any discipline 
searching the scriptures to identify God's will. And it often goes unchallenged as well, because sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? When somebody says God said, it's, often, it's difficult to challenge that, isn't it? What God said. Well, you can't challenge God, can you? We can all make the Bible speak for us if we try hard enough. So I want to encourage us today. Let's speak for it. Let's be mature. 
whole movement, the whole religion was formed off the back of a new revelation. God's they kind of just say usually speaking. When there's a new revelation, it always it always ends up benefiting the person. <laughs> yeah, conveniently Joseph Smith ended up with quite a number of wives, I don't think. He's a polygamist. It says he published many revelations and other texts that his followers regard as scripture. Now, could I just be so bold as to say today that to a lesser scale, this still takes place in churches even today. Does it take place in churches up and down this, up and down this land? In communities like this one? You know, so I'm not saying to the point where you know, new religions are formed or anything like that, although you know, that still does happen, but this subtle undermining of God's word you know, where it's manipulated or misinterpreted to the point where it leads to, you know, to, to consequences in our lives, consequences in our church. And not just in our lives as well, because, you know, the God told me some statement, you know, they usually have a great impact on those that we do life with. They impact the church, don't they? They impact our friends, our family. God told me to, you know, let's for instance, you know, God told me to sell my house and give all of the proceeds away. Well, you know, did you tell your wife the same thing? It's going to be a bit of a battle for you, isn't it? <laughs> you know, God doesn't contradict what he's already put in here. But he's given you a responsibility to your family, to be a good husband, to be a good... But he's not going to tell you to do that, is he?
isn't, in fact, new. It should be an affirmation of what has already been revealed to us in the scripture. So if it's a revelation, don't think of it as a new revelation. It should be an affirmation of what's already in here. And that's all going to conclude with what I said earlier on. That God's word really is incredible. It really is powerful. It really is sharper than any double-edged sword that judges our thoughts and motives. And so as custodians of God's word, we should treat it with the utmost respect, shouldn't we? should treat it with the greatest of care. I'm alluding to those words that Billy Graham said again. Before any non-believer even picks up the Bible, you and I are the Bible that they're reading. So I want to encourage us now, let's do a good job of this. Being a good portrayal of God's Word. Let's live it and breathe it. Let's not just see it as a textbook. You know, another, I remember at the AOG conference just a couple of weeks ago, the AOG's new national leader, Glenn Barrett, put a charge out to all of the new ministers don't treat this Bible as though you're just trying to get a sermon out of it. And that really spoke to me that bit. Because life can get busy. You know, and certainly when you're preaching and you're, uh, you know, for anybody who preaches, it can throwing that in the midst of and preparing and stuff like that, you can start using it as a bit of a textbook to try and come up with a come up with a message. And he was in the trying to, he was really trying to just impress upon us. You know, don't read this for yourself, read this for your life. Let this inform you. Actions, let this, this inform your desires. Let this be your rule of, of life. Don't just treat it like a textbook. I want to encourage you to do the same today. Don't just read it out of obligation like I was doing. And I said that I was trying to read you know, X amount of chapters per day to so that I looked like I was a good Christian. Don't do that. Don't do that. Read this book because you want to become like Christ. You want to become like the one that, that wrote it, the one that inspired it. It's a massive, massive honor to be able to speak for God's word. It comes with great responsibility, doesn't it? Let's pray this morning. I'm finished. Let's pray and I'll just hand you back to Tim. Because I will read you thank you this morning, Lord Jesus. More than anything, Lord, we thank you for your word. Truth that's contained in this book. Thank you, Lord, that we can faithfully build our lives upon it, Lord, and we know that we will succeed in life because of this. Not succeed, Lord, in the way that the world envisions success. We know that actually successful lives actually will come up against trials, will come up against hardship, there'll be pain, there'll be trouble, there'll be grief, there'll be anguish along the way. But Lord, we can live a successful life in remaining faithful to our God and our Lord. Savior, and we build our lives upon this. It has eternal value. And so, Lord, we just want to commit ourselves again fresh, Lord, to your word. May this inform us, Lord God. May this inform us, Lord Jesus, as we go about our daily lives. Pray that we'd have a hunger, Lord. For those of us, Lord, that are sat in this place that may feel that this, that this book becomes dry, can be hard to read, Lord. I just pray that you'll bring new life, Lord, into people's devotional lives. Lord, as they read their Bibles, Lord, even in this coming week, that you'll, you'll start to speak again. Start to speak again.